ever since I left the city. Your ears do not deceive you. It's the Deep Cover Podcast. Ever since Greg Roman left the city. Ooh! (laughs) Here we are. Here we are. Back at you. Man, talk about a lot to talk about. Man, since the since we, it's been a while since we recorded, uh, there's been a couple games. We're not gonna go all the way back, but we've had the wild card game. We had the presser today with John Harbaugh and Eric DaCosta. We had the news about Greg Roman and the Ravens. However you want to term it, parting ways, exploring different options, whatever it is. Um, he's no longer the Ravens' offensive coordinator. They'll be looking for a new OC. So we got all of that to talk about, and. Um, and probably some more stuff in between there. Um, so it's good to be back before we start chopping everything up. Uh, got to touch base with the fellas, Chris and Carrie. Chris, I know this has got to be a day that you've been looking forward to for a while now. <laughs> yes, yes, I have. It's a, it's a good day. It's, this is just the beginning, though. So we, we can be happy. We can celebrate this. But then it's time for work, and we got to get to our search. Mm. 24-hour rule. 24-hour rule. We celebrate today. Tomorrow we back at work and, and we we getting our, our interview list ready. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Carrie, you know, you've been our GM when we've done our draft shows. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm fully expecting you to come with a very impressive list of candidates. Uh, <laughs> what did you think, man? How you been? How's everything been going? Good, man. You know, glad to be back with you guys. So great to be able to talk to you guys again, actually be able to talk, period. You know, we had a little hiatus that was on me. You know, I got sick on the non-COVID illness list, but I lost my voice. So I literally couldn't flu game through a pod because I couldn't talk really for a few days. And then I got nasally after that and, you know, just been trying to push my way through it. But, you know. I'm back and I'm back at a great time with, you know, a lot to go on, a lot to talk about. So I'm ready to get into it. It's good to have you back. It was good to to see you and to hear you and know that you're you're feeling better and doing better. And and Chris knows and you know, we all three of us from the very beginning that we first started talking to each other and decided to do this stuff. We always say it. Um, lives, our lives, our families, whatever is always going to come first. We're never going to put football or any of this other stuff before that. So when we don't record shows, a lot of times people don't know the reasons behind, you know, the reasons why behind why we do it. Most of the time it's something life related, you know, whatever that might be. And so, you know, I know people sometimes kind of mess with us a little bit about, oh, they don't record regularly. They don't do this. They don't do that. <laughs> That's just not going to change, man, because this is this is how we've always seen it. This is something that uh, is important to all of us and something that we believe in, like, you know, people people come first man this football it's cool and everything it's fun but it's not life so that's just how it is there it is you know get on my little stump right there (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but let's get into all of this stuff that we just we were just describing man all the stuff we have to talk about and i guess we'll start right off right at the top um with the presser today and and well let's do the let's do the giro news first because that got we figured he was going to be a topic of conversation at the presser, but it got, I don't want to say leaked because I guess it came from his representatives. I guess he's under athletes. He's with athletes first or whatever. So they actually put out a little press release 
before the presser kind of announcing, you know, that he was no longer going to be the offensive coordinator. So let's let's deal with that first, because there was a bunch of stuff in the presser itself that wasn't even about him uh, that we can talk about. And then on the, the back end of this, we'll go back and talk about the game that that shall not be named uh, just because we hadn't had an opportunity <laughs> to do that. Uh, but I'll start I'll start with you, Chris. So when when you saw the news, like you said, we figured it was going to come up in some shape, form or fashion. But then we saw it before. Um, what was your immediate reaction, your immediate thought um, when, when you saw it? Well, first, I want to just take it back a few hours before that where Mike Garofalo uh, sent out that tweet reminding everyone that there was still a year left on G-Roll's contract when a lot of us thought G-Roll's contract was up. Yeah. So when I read that tweet, I was on the train and I almost fell to my knees in front of everybody. <laughs> I was like, no, this can't be happening. No. <laughs> so, um, but then a couple hours later, we see that press release and uh, I was like, okay, price is averted. <laughs> um, but I, I thought it was a classy way that the Ravens did it, uh, you know, where they kind of let Giro and his people announce it and get it out there first and you know, form phrase it in a way where he's going to be looking for other opportunities. So I thought that was classy of the organization to do. And, um, but you know, it was time. It, it was time. You, there's no way you watch Ravens games and you say, Oh yeah, they're clicking, you know, like on offense. Oh yeah. They're clicking. Like there's too many times where Lamar Jackson, who's one of the best quarterbacks in the league, where you watch him and the, the offense operate and you're just like, why does it look like this? Like, why is it so bad? And you can see it in game. Like, just just look at the Tampa Bay game. Look at that first half. That first half of football is some of the worst offensive football you'll see. Hmm. Then the second half is some of the best offensive football you'll see. <laughs> And it was too much of a roller coaster ride with that. And when you have wide receivers complaining about it, you have running backs complaining about it. Now, Lamar hasn't ever come out and complained about it, but I'm pretty sure there's some, you know, uneasiness there with him trusting what's being called and, you know, the, the scheme that's in place. And I just think. It was the right time to move on. And I'm happy that they did because I feel like it would have been very tone deaf of them if they just would have tried it out with Giro again. And I think it just would have been doubling down and being stubborn and just saying, no, we're going to do it this way. And I think that would have been a huge mistake. So I'm glad that they were aware enough to see this. And I'm just hoping that they can, you know, take that next step and not just do one of these like you know like you said earlier mike like one of these hardball uh you know family tree guys as the hire like let, let's get somebody in here who can really take this offense to the next level and and really help lamar progress in a way that we've seen with other young quarterbacks like the way we've seen with jalen hurts the way we saw with josh allen you know there, there's no reason why lamar can't be a part of that and we see that growth from him as a passer and just make offense easier for him as a quarterback. It shouldn't be so difficult. And 
And also, not even just a quarterback, but, you know, let the wide receivers. You know, I, I would like a system where wide receivers like to play in this system. You know, it's it's not about throwing it 40 times a game. That's not what I'm asking for. But I would like an offense where the wide receivers actually like to play here. You know, I, I don't think that's a difficult thing to ask. I mean, you look at the Eagles. Eagles run the ball a ton. And they get their wide receivers involved as well. So it, it's not that you you have to be a running team and not get your wide receivers involved. You can do both. You know, you can lean on the run game heavily and also have your wide receivers heavily involved in the game as well. It doesn't have to be an either-or thing. And hopefully they can get somebody with that kind of vision. Yeah, let's see some revitalization, man, when it comes to uh, the wide receiver position and and how they're using this offense. When I was listening to the presser, and I know we'll get to that in a, in a few, that's what I was thinking about. You know what I'm saying? I was thinking about, like, you know, the certain places and certain cities that maybe at one point in time um, were like the place to go, like spot to go, or maybe it never was. Right. And it's kind of it's kind of like run down or whatever. And then there's some investment and they kind of build it up and new new places come in. And it's like, that's the place we want to go. That's the spot people want to go now. Let's make this a place the wide receivers want to come again. You know, <laughs> where they're not like, man, I ain't trying to go around there, man. That's just, it's just dead over there. <laughs> Let's make it something nice where they want to come. They want to stay. They want to hang out. You know what I'm saying? I think we have an opportunity. So, so you want to you want to gentrify the wide receiver room? <laughs> <laughs> see, see, Chris, that's the key. It's all about phrasing. I want to revitalize the wide receiver room. I want to gentrify it. That's 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 negative. People that makes people feel bad. <laughs> I want to revitalize. The wide and making it an exciting place for wide receivers to come, uh, you know, and want to be a part of whatever they're doing on offense. Kerry, let me come to you now um, because, you know, we talked about this um, and you've hit on it several times. We talked about it at the end of last year and going into this year, like, okay, we get last year with all the injuries. Maybe you give this offense under zero one more time, but it gets to a point where how perfect do the conditions have to be? before you say enough is enough. So what was your uh, your reaction when you saw the news or heard the news? Right. Yeah, I'm going to go a little bit off the board here, but trust me, when I get to the end, you'll see how I tie it all together. <laughs> but uh, do y'all remember the movie Hitch? Yeah. Yes. Will Smith and Kevin James. So there's a scene where Will Smith is uh, – Will Smith's character is, is coaching um, Kevin James' character – up on um you know getting him ready for this date so you know he's just going over things with them and they get to the point about dancing and will smith is you know just kind of showing them a two-step you know this is what you need to kind of stay within the realm of this here and kevin james was like oh no dancing i'm not worried about i got that and he was like okay well well you know let me see what you mean by that so he turns on the mood turns on the music Kevin James started doing all these crazy dances and just wilding out. That's Giro. Giro <laughs> is Kevin James and Hitch. <laughs> so, uh, the, the game in Cincinnati, we're going to get to that one, but that's a prime example. Just asking for a two step. That's all we're asking for. Stay right here. Say, Stay we're right, right here. here. We're right, right here. here. 
No, G Row <laughs> is gonna do the cafe challenge <laughs> when we ask for a two step. That you know, that's that's just what he's gonna do. That you know, handing off to Mark Andrews, you know, the, oh. mm. calling the quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> not even a draw a quarterback sneak at the three like this 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 is the kind of stuff like just basic stuff you know Giro is just gonna you know he's just gonna go way outside of the box and 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 you know at the end of the day it was just too much of that you know like I said you know just asking for a two-step we talked about it me and you Chris um, you had tweeted about what they needed to do in that game, and you know, I you know, I, I, I characterized it as dragging them in a the hole and see if they can dig their way out. And a lot of what happened in that game was exactly that. But when it came down to those key moments, Giro just had to kind of pull out, pull out all the stops, pull out all the moves, you know, and so. At the end of the day, I'm glad that the organization was able to recognize um, that a change was needed. Because, I mean, honestly, with the success they've had, they could have turned a blind eye. They could have been searching for those perfect conditions like we talked about. They could have convinced themselves that, hey, we come back, we get Bateman bad, maybe we add another wide receiver. This is salvageable. We can do this. But there's so many different elements of this that lead you into the direction that another voice is needed, another direction is needed, that they would have been doing, you know, everybody in, in, in the um, organization a disservice by, by keeping them on. And that's not to knock him per se, because I think Giro is a good coach. I think he's a good coordinator. Um, I think he's a floor raiser. Um, I think now this is more about raising that ceiling and finding somebody uh, to link with Lamar that can just raise the 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 ceiling of this entire offense. And it doesn't have to be any kind of um, huge philosophical shift. I've you know I've seen and heard different things about potential. Um, identity crisis going into Baltimore. I, I don't think that's the case. I think they know who they are, what they, what they want to be. I think the, whoever the next coordinator is um, will understand it as well. And there'll be a team that's going to run the football and play physical. But marrying the passing game and the running game, being better in the two-minute, um, you know, creating – uh, avenues for receivers to get yards after the catch, all of those different things, throwing to the running backs. You know, all, all those different things are, are things that need to happen in order for them to reach the levels that they want to reach as far as being able to win different styles of game. So, um, you know, again, hats off to him. Um, and, you know, give G. Rowe his credit. Like, he he was the perfect guy in 2018 under the circumstances the kind of pseudo takeover and then in 2019 you can't take away what they did historic numbers and that probably delayed what probably should have happened sooner than it did but 
you know, it didn't. And we, you know, we're here now and, you know, it, it took some wild circumstances, wild plays, <laughs> wild play calls. You know, like I said, Giro was on that comfort challenge. He was unapologetic when he fucked up that night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on Sunday night. So, you know, we, like Chris said, now we got to look forward to um, who the next guy is. So, looking forward to it. He went out in true Giro fashion. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He went out in true Giro fashion. I think that's a good point you make about the identity because. Uh, and I guess I could use this as a way to kind of uh, transition to the presser. Because um, among the many questions that both Harbaugh and Eric DaCosta were asked when it related to offensive coordinator and the offense, one of them was about um, what kind of offense did John Harbaugh want to see? Did the vision that he had for this offense when they first drafted Lamar and then they they hired uh, G. Rowe as the offensive coordinator. Has that vision changed based on Lamar now being, you know, in, in the league for five years? And he used that word identity that you mentioned. He's like, no, I think the identity of the offense, I think we know what that is. And I think that can mean different things to different people. People can hear that word and hear what he says and think, okay, he's talking about, you know, running the ball, prioritizing that, having a dominant run game. We know he's an old school dude. He believes in the physicality of the game almost more than anything else. Toughness, you know, all of that. And that I'm with him on that because that's what it is. I mean, everything else, you can have all of these cool designs and, and whatever. But at, at at its core, it's still a game about putting your hands on somebody and making them do something they don't want to do or making them do something they, they don't. You know what I'm saying? Either way. Yeah. Um, so I get all of that. But. I think what I've always felt like listening to Lamar whenever he has had frustrations with the offense or them not scoring points, I think identity in his mind is about scoring points. That's the identity of our offense. We score points. However, that needs to happen. If we can do it running the ball, cool, I'm with it. If the defense is stopping the run and we can't score points that way, let's shift. Let's throw the ball. I think his mindset had always been sort of like, let's not get stuck and bogged down in one particular identity. Our identity is we want to score points consistently. We don't ever want anybody else to stop us from scoring points. So however we got to do that, let that be our identity. And I think that's the one thing that I'm hoping. I'm, I, I think I want to believe in my heart. <laughs> John Harbaugh <laughs> thinks about it that way too. And not, no, it's got to be about physical, you know, about being physical, about being tough, about imposing our will. All of that stuff is great. And you, like I said, you definitely have to do it. But you also, I think, have to have enough versatility and flexibility to know, like, okay, if we're not able to do that, if somebody's taking that away, if they, they commit resources and they really sell out to try to take that away, we can still score points in another way. Let's not just right. bang our head up against that wall. Like, we got to prove we're the toughest team out there. You know, I mean, there's different ways to do it. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm hopeful about that. And... um Something I should have mentioned about the 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 wide receiver room gentrification. I'm oh, sorry, revitalization. <laughs> I want to call it that. <laughs> Is look, we got some nice stuff there already. Got T. Martin, right, right. This guy, very successful recruiter in college. A guy who played quarterback in college and in the league, right. Understands wide receiver quarterback connection. We got Keith Williams, Dub, worked with some of the best wide receivers in the league. 
you know, on fundamentals and technique. Hey, look, we, we got some nice shops. You know what I'm saying? We got some retail, <laughs> got some, some entertainment. We got some nice stuff for you here, right? We had that one real old kind of outdated, you know, place that nobody likes seeing. They had to walk past it to get to the good stuff. And it's like, man, every time we come here, we get kind of bogged down. That's gone now. That's gone. We don't have that no more. <laughs> so y'all can come back in here now and just focus on the nice stuff. Let's hope. Yeah. Well, yeah, we don't know what's coming to replace it. That's true. Oh, so. That's key. That's Mark, key. Mark, key. Mark Tressman could be walking through that door for us. That is key. That is key. <laughs> no, but I, I, I do believe that they, they will step in. Like I said, I, I tweeted it out a couple of days ago, what, what Kerry said weeks ago at this point, when Kerry brought it up on the pod about upper management's having to step in. And uh, I think that's going to be part of this process along with Lamar, too. Yeah. Harbaugh said that. He was like, it's not just going to be me. Thank the search. Lord. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not going to be me in this search. And I think it was really important that they they said that Lamar was going to be involved in the search. I mean, it was probably going to happen anyway, but I think it was, you know, just from a, a optics standpoint, I think right. it was important to Which say is important that. at this yeah. point because there's yeah. a lot of – you know, of, of those optics that are just, they haven't been looking very good. So it, I, I, I like that they got in front of that today. Yeah. Yeah. That's important. That's important uh, that they did that. And I think, you know, we, we just talked about this before we hit record. This is the guy that's going to be running those plays, whoever this play caller ends up being. This is the guy that's going to be out there running these plays. And if he doesn't believe in them, then, you know, that's almost a non-starter, right? If he doesn't believe in what you're doing, if he doesn't believe in what you're calling, if he doesn't believe in the philosophy that you have, you know, that's that's not where you want to be. So for him to have feedback and input, now we don't know what that's going to look like. You know, somebody, <laughs> I don't remember who it was now. And I'm not doing this on purpose. I, I honestly, I'm, I'm blanking on who it was. I can remember in our chat, in the big chat, somebody saying about him coming in three, four days a week or and, and participating in it. Like, whatever. <laughs> I don't see it happening like that per se. I don't, you know, I mean, Lamar wants to have an all season too. I don't, I don't think he's going to be coming in here, you know, putting the time card in <laughs> when he comes into the building. Like, okay, uh, let me, let me, you know, get my stuff together so I can sit in on all these interviews. Um, but even if there, you know, there's some kind of virtual, you know, option for him to kind of tap in if he wants to tap in and 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 listen and give his feedback, how whatever it looks like, you know what I mean? I don't know what that's going to look like, but I think it is important um, that he have, you know, some role in that process because, like I said, he's the guy out there, you know, getting it done. So he definitely needs to be involved. So we we are, you know, kind of kind of brought up that point and that came out of the presser. So let's just kind of stay there for a little while. I'll start with you on it this time, Carrie. There's a lot there. There's a lot of different questions, a lot of different responses. Uh, so we're going to do this just like open run, right? Open gym, wherever you want to go with it. Uh, what, what were some of your takeaways uh, from that presser? Well, I mean, I just go back. I just go to the biggest elephant in the room and that's Lamar. And, you know, the question I've been asking myself and I put it out there on Twitter too, um, I said, we're going to find out how much the Ravens want to be in the franchise quarterback business at some point soon. There's been a lot of talk, a lot of speculation, um, you know, a lot of 
um, trade talks, which have been, it's been mind boggling to me. Like I, I understand like, you know, from a standpoint of, um, I don't know, guess people want to get out ahead of it or, um, you know, people just like, you know, the transaction part of football. But for me, I've seen a lot of trade Lamar talk and it's just insane to me to have a franchise quarterback who's one of the best players in the NFL and there'd be so much enthusiasm about, you know, what a potential package trade package would look like. Yeah. It's been beyond what if. Yeah. Like what if is one thing. Right. Okay. What if this happens? What if that happens? That's that's all cool. And you should you should have an open mind about that kind of stuff. But it's been beyond that. It's right. been like, get this dude out of here. Yeah. And I yeah. don't think any of us on this pod feel that way. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So that's been, you know, mind blowing to me. So I'm I think the presser today will kind of slow some of that because I think the Ravens show they want to be in the franchise quarterback business. Uh, you know, I think they've, they've, from what they said, I don't think it was just lip service. I do think that they understand what they have here and they're going to make every attempt to get him locked up long-term. So, you know, that was good to hear because, you know, all we heard was speculation, um, you know, a lot of tweets, a lot of this and a lot of that. And like I, like I tweeted about myself, like, we're privy to so much, but we're not privy enough to the things that actually matter as far as being able to formulate an opinion on something. So it was good to have something, something tangible that you can look at and say, okay, this is what they, they said. This is what their follow-up actions are, are looking to be. And so let's, let's see where that goes. So that was great to hear because obviously when you got a guy like that, when you got one of those ones, let, let me keep one of those ones as opposed to um, draft picks that at the very best, we just be looking for another Lamar Jackson. So <laughs> if you have a Lamar Jackson already here, do everything you can to keep him. So, you know, that was my, my biggest, um, takeaway from that was you know there, there seemed to be uh, a genuine um uh, enthusiasm about keeping him around um and you know harbaugh um kind of walked back some things that he said or or, or kind of uh cleaned up some things that he said you know based off of how verbally he handled the injury situation and, and all of those things i think there's times where he doesn't realize the things that he says, how they can resonate. And so I, I think, again, if you want to be in a franchise quarterback business, it's about constantly supporting that franchise quarterback. It's about building your franchise around him on the field and off the field. And so I want to see that investment continue. They said they're going to involve him in, um, the decision with the OC, um, well, I want to see them put their money where their mouth is as far as that goes. Or, you know, hopefully they, he is thoroughly involved in that and they make the right choice for him, not for anybody else in the organization, first and foremost, him. Um, and so getting that um, higher right and getting somebody that he can build with and, and, and grow with and, um, 
also someone that can kind of clean up a bit of what I would say is a disconnect between um, the people making the selections and the people develop, developing these selections. Um, you know, just there, there needs to be a better marriage there um, so that, you know, you're not wasting draft capital on guys um, that, you know, you draft to do one thing and then they turn into gunners on, on special teams. So, you know, hopefully that gets nipped in the bud so we don't have, you know, more selections like that. And um, I, I, outside of that, um, I mean, that was really my biggest kind of takeaway from the presser. And then um, I think a, a big kind of overall takeaway is when you see kind of Harz break down the roster and you see DaCosta talk about the roster, it's a roster that's not very far away. This is a very talented team, very deep team. And I saw a couple of tweets, people saying, you know, there's knees here, knees there. There's a handful of knees, and those knees are glaring. But you look at this roster, you look at a lot of the other rosters around the league, even roster that, rosters that are still in the playoffs right now, you can put this roster up against a lot of them mm-hmm. from a depth and from a talent standpoint. There's a couple – we and we, I don't even have to say the, the positions because we already know what the positions are. There's a handful of positions, and we know they need to be addressed. But, you know, when I look at this team, and, and that's why the trade in Lamar and this and that makes no sense to me because you're so close. Look at the offensive line compared to last year to now. You know, look at the type of position. Even if they lose a Ben Powers, look at what we're looking at as far as this offensive line. Uh, uh, you know, a year removed from the questions that we had. Um, you know, the pass rushers with Oway. You know, look at that that leap he took in that game, that last game. You know, you got a job coming. I mean, just you can go down the roster and 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 you know, those there's guys at every position you can highlight. So, um, there's a few things they have to get right with this OC hire and some of those things. But you know, it it, it looks really good. It, it looks really really good. And I think people, obviously, you can't relax because you know they could always. You know, they could hire, uh, you know, <laughs> who knows, some whatever Philly coach that John Harbaugh used to coach with that <laughs> is, is working at Subway right now or something, and then all of a sudden they call him <laughs> for a job. Yeah. But, you know, outside of that, it, it, it's a lot to be excited about with, with this team. Yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack just in your comments. Uh, about your takeaways from the press conference. <laughs> Denard and I talked about that Oway game, man. We were like, that's his Billy Ray Valentine, right? Trading places. I have eyes. I can see. I have legs. <laughs> I can stay in. Like, it dude was like on another level, you know, in that game, a level that we hadn't seen. I, I You know, we said it was, it was his best performance of the season, maybe the best performance of his young career. I mean, that's what you expected when they drafted him like not a right away i mean you knew development was gonna have to take place but you were like look that's what i want to see i want to see a guy dominate right and that's what he was doing and you know you can say they had some tomato cans out there on the Bengals line and at a certain point in certain positions that was true but when jonah williams was in there who's their starting left tackle and you may not think jonah williams is a great left tackle and that's probably true but he's starting left tackle 
he was abusing that dude uh, before he got hurt. Had him on skates. <laughs> Had him Giving on him skates. That so that's that's definitely what you wanted to see for him. So that was really promising. <laughs> um, the point you made about all of the speculation that we've seen kind of run rampant around the whole Lamar contract situation, injury situation, reminds me of this old quote where it says, people know the price of everything but the value of nothing. So we got all this information, but yeah. it's it's how much of it is noise and how much of it is signal. You know what I'm saying? So we're just filling in the gaps, mostly with noise, because we don't know what the signal is. <laughs> so you can have all this information and still not really understand which parts of it are actually meaningful. You know, so that that's that's uh, what comes to mind when you mention that. And then um, the roster. How many rosters could absorb losing their their franchise quarterback and still you know go three and three down the stretch? Of and the season? top top two wide receivers as well. Exactly, exactly. Think about it. Go around the league. Go around the top teams. Take Chase and Higgins, and they 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 you know T Higgins did miss some games, and Chase missed some games, and we saw the Bengals struggle. But take Burrow out too. So take those dude dudes mm-hmm. out and take Burrow out at the same time. Do that on any of the top teams uh, in the AFC or the NFC, and you know see if you think they can go three and three down the stretch at the end of the season. So to your point about the talent and the depth on this roster, to be able to absorb those kinds of losses and, you know, <laughs> the hesitation, <laughs> hesitate, I'm going to use the word, still be competitive enough to win <laughs> three of those games. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, I think that speaks to the talent and the depth on this roster. All right, Chris, let me get to you uh, again. Open slate, man. A lot of stuff in that presser to talk about. You can you can circle back on some of Kerry stuff like I did, or you know share some of your own takeaways. What uh, what did you think about it? Uh, so I found it interesting that he that EDC kind of compared um, attacking the wide receiver room the same way that he attacked uh, the offensive line this year. I mean the offensive yeah. line last year. I'm sorry. Um, so because we saw him be super aggressive with that, you know he. Got out. Morgan Moses was one of the first signings that he made. Uh, uh, drafted uh, Fala Lele. Uh, Linderbaum, first round. Got Linderbaum. Uh, made made extending Makari a priority because yeah. he did that early. I think, was it before the season even finished? Yeah, I think so. So he made sure that, you know, he had, like Kerry says, you know, that, that Kerryism, insurance for your insurance. Mm-hmm. You know, and it early on in the season, I mean, they, they needed it. You know, if, if I Lele had to play left tackle, you know, for about a game and a half, uh, you know, Makari was filling in for right tackle, left tackle, he was doing a little bit of everything. So, um, you know, I, I feel like he hit a home run with the offensive line and the way he attacked it and the pieces that he put in place there for the 2022 season. Now, this is kind of his second go at rebuilding the wide receiver room because we saw him attack it when he drafted Hollywood and then he drafted Boykin in that in that same draft. And, you know, he got Willie Sneed, which, you know, some people will be like, yeah, it's just Willie Sneed. But, I mean, that was how he was trying to, you know, take that step in order to bring veteran guys around these new pieces, new exciting pieces, because I think people forget – how exciting it was when the Ravens drafted Hollywood and Boykin. You know, it, it, 
right now it's like, yeah, they drafted Hollywood and Boykin. Who cares? Like, you know, that that's not, uh, you know, A.J. Brown and Terry McLaurin, you know. But back then it was like, yeah, you know, these dudes, they're, they're perfect complement with each other. You know, you got the little dude who has speed and who route you up. And then you got the big dude who, you know, he has some speed, but he can go over the top as well and, and pluck the ball out of the sky. So it seemed like a good marriage, but it just on the field, it just never really progressed to what we had hoped it would be. And now this is his second swing at trying to revamp this room. So I'm going to be interested to see what swings he takes because, you know, you have that first round pick where I believe it's going to be the 22nd overall pick. Mm -hmm. So you have that one. Then you also have the vet route, which has, I mean, in, in all honesty, like just historically speaking, that's been the way that the Ravens have been able to get consistent production out of that wide receiver position is going the vet route. And let's see if he can do that, whether that's a Mike Williams, I mean, a, a Mike Evans, if he becomes available. You know, obviously, you know, the, the D-hop pick, which, you know, Mike, he you wants were the first to win. person. You, Mike, he wants you to win, Chris. You, you were the first person I heard bring up D-hop, and now that's, you know, that's the sexy pick now. You know, you, he wants I, to win. I, I, I saw it in that whole YouTube chat uh, as the, the presser was going on. People were like, D-hop, 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 D-hop. <laughs> hey, they heard what I heard. I want to yeah. win. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see how he attacks it and, and the way he goes about it because I don't think it's – you can just – all right, we could just draft a first and a third rounder the way that they did in – I think that was the 2019 draft. I don't think you can go that route. You know, I, I think you have to have an established guy to – put around these young dudes like uh, Bateman and Duvernay, you know, these guys, they could, they need help. They need a, a receiver in that room who can elevate everybody. We see, we've seen what Roquan did for Patrick queen. He was able to elevate that room, that linebacker room. And I feel like the wide receiver room needs that a guy who can elevate the whole room. And I, I I'm, I'm intrigued to see what, what he does and, and how he goes about it, because you know there's some interesting targets in the draft, interesting vet options. So it, it's going to be fun to see him, see him at work, and to see kind of correct a wrong, well, to try to correct a wrong, because we saw that first swing in 2019, and it was a miss, unfortunately. So hopefully he can he can get to it and, and fix that room up, and we don't have to see you know Sammy Watkins back here. <laughs> I was, you know, I was tempted when you said, you know, they need a vet. I was like, hey, Sammy. <laughs> but we we've talked about this before, and I think we all kind of share a similar sentiment. Just it is important to have established vets, at least one, in every room in your building. I think uh, because you do need that guy who's been through it, you know, who's been in the league, who's seen some things, uh, particularly guys that have had some success. Even some guys that have had adversity. I mean, that's all of that's wrapped into it and important, but who just can can convey it to other guys in that room differently than a coach can. You know what I'm saying? Somebody who can speak that exact same language. Like, hey man, I, I, I was just doing this last year on this other team, or I, you know, I've been doing this um, you know, for these different teams. And so I can really speak to you on that level about what you need to do out there on the field, what you need to do in practice, what you need to do in meeting rooms, how you need to take care of your body, 
like all of that. You know what I'm saying? That guy to me, this is different because it was on the defensive side, but a guy to me who I always thought was a good example of that in the DB room was Brandon Carr. He had been around, he had seen everything, super durable. A guy who anytime that I saw him, the few times that I got to go to like training camp practices and stuff, even if he wasn't like fully participating in practice because they were doing like a vet kind of day or whatever, he was always talking to young guys in between plays, uh, you know, as they're moving from periods to periods. He was out there working on his own technique, you know, backpedaling, mirroring, shuffling, doing stuff like that. Just even when they were doing warm up jogging, like when people are just jogging back and forth. Now he's backpedaling. He's coming out of transitions. Just his mind was always about the craft, always working on the craft, trying to better the craft and perfect the craft. So I think it's super important to have guys like that, particularly when you have uh, young rooms like they still do at wide receiver. I mean, we talked about Sammy and I'm not saying Sammy can't offer any of that or didn't offer any of that. I'm sure he probably does. But we also saw some of the things that Sammy said initially about Lamar and then he walked some of his stuff back to So, you know, it's not, it's not just any vet. You know what I mean? It, it's, there's certain kinds of guys and you talked about Willie Sneed. Willie Sneed was another one of those guys in the wide receiver room. I remember seeing him at a training camp practice and this was just training camp. This was practice. And they're out there for an 11 on 11 period and the offense is struggling. That dude came off the sideline, throwing his helmet, cursing at people, kicking over water coolers. <laughs> you would think it was a playoff <laughs> game. This was practice. Cause he was like, no, these dudes are coming off the field like this ain't nothing. Like, all right, we'll get it next time. You know, we'll make this work next time. He's like, no, this this has got to be right now. We got to get this right now. We got to care about this right now. If you don't care about this the way I do right now, you think you're going to turn it on in a game? It don't work that way. It's got to be on all the time. So that kind of stuff, man, I think is super important. But it's not something that, you know, you, you can't go on PFF and look this up. You know what I mean? You can't mm-hmm. get this from true media. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, it's not quantifiable. And so sometimes people don't value it. But in, in, a, in a team setting, I think it's super important to have people like that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that they can bring in, you know, some of those those names that you mentioned, Chris, and even some other names. I mean, we, you talked about 2019, Seth Roberts. Uh, people ain't going to love that name. <laughs> but I'm just saying, <laughs> just saying, you know, that you, you have to bring in complementary skill sets, complementary personalities. I think that's another thing. You want a diversity of, of personality in that room uh, in addition to just, you know, diversity of skill sets. So that's going to be interesting to watch too. And I think I've said it before. We've all talked about it before. If you look at the way that he has tried to attack this wide receiver position and yeah, maybe he hasn't necessarily invested in free agents the way that they had in the past with guys like Bolden and Steve Smith. But Hollywood Brown, you mentioned some of the names, Hollywood Brown, Miles Boykin, Rashad Bateman, uh, James Prochet, Devin Duvernay, Tylen Wallace. You know, you throw out all these names and we can say, okay, well, yeah, that sounds great, but none of this has really worked out the way we thought it was going to work out. Well, the one thing that was in common with that was who the offensive coordinator was. So now we get to see these guys, well, not Hollywood and not Boykin, but we get to see these other guys with a new offensive coordinator. Now, if that guy is more passing game friendly, more wide receiver friendly, more quarterback friendly, and those guys still struggle, then okay. Maybe we got the wrong guys. (laughs) But this is kind of what I think we all wanted to see with those guys. Let's see them with different opportunity. 
and see what it looks like. Because right now, a lot of that's already been written off. For some, I mean, people are already writing off Bateman, let alone Crochet and Tyler Wallace. People are already writing him off. He's injury prone. He can't stay healthy, right? That's that's narrative people are putting out there about him already. So let's let's just let's just see. Because like I talked to you guys about earlier in our little small chat, T. Martin and Keith Williams, man, these dudes know that position. They know the wide receiver position. So I was like, I think we just got to give it a little bit more time. Hopefully you can keep both of those guys around, <laughs> at least for one more season, because I think you really can see dividends pay off with what they're able to do if you can now bring in that ceiling raiser as a play caller that Kerry talked about. We had the floor raiser, and that got you to a certain point. But I think for the, the wide receiver room to really pay dividends, you've got the coaches there who can really develop guys. Now can we get the play caller that can even put those guys in positions to um, to showcase their talents and showcase their skills? I look forward to seeing that. But again, Chris got that limiter on us, man. Could be a hard buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and it may not be all these things you're hoping that you're going to get. But that's an important thing to keep in mind because, yeah, it's exciting. You know, it's, I remember last year how I felt about the search for defensive coordinator. It was like, the world of possibilities could be anything, and then I was like, "Oh, it's my <laughs> 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 which turned out to be fine. Turned out yeah. to be better than fine. Uh, yeah. You know, Denar and I talked about that last night. We kind of looked back uh, at his first season as a defensive coordinator, and it started out a little shaky. But to his credit, and I think you could hear it with the players. And Denar made a very good point. He said, the one thing you never heard, even when they were going through those struggles, you've never heard guys complain about the play calls. Never heard guys question, you know, kind of the strategy of what they're doing. He said, what did you hear? You always heard, hey, it's us. We keep making the same mistakes over and over again. So he was like, even they understood, okay, this is, this is about him learning us and the things that we do well and how he can use his play calls to put us in the best situations to do what we do well. So I think you could really see as the season went on that process of him learning his personnel and listening to those guys. Hey, here's, here's what we need to do in these situations. And then you saw it change with his game plans throughout the game. I mean, that game plan for Cincinnati, really both weeks. I mean, obviously you had the turnovers in, <clears throat> in the previous game with Anthony Brown, one big turnover in this one too. We'll get to that. Uh, but it really was a perfect defensive game plan for how you contain that offense. Keep the lid on it, right? The cookie jar. Denard talked about that all season. Keep the lid on the cookie jar. Okay? Don't let nobody stick their hand in there and take them cookies out. <laughs> Keep everything in front of you. Come up, tackle the ball. From Like he used to always say, from the 30s to the 30s, you can do whatever you want. You can get in there and, 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 and hitch that thing, you know, get outside your two-step, act as crazy as you want. But once we get in these 30s, we're going to tighten this thing down. And you either go kick a field goal or you're going to turn the ball over. <laughs> and that's it. And I think that we really saw them embrace that philosophy uh, in the second half of the season, particularly what now, of course, never hurts when Roquan Smith shows up either. I mean, we can't can't undersell that. <laughs> never, never hurts when a guy like that shows up too. <laughs> he can make you look like a pretty good uh, a pretty good play caller uh, when, when he shows up on your team. So um, I don't want to take that away from Roe at all. But, you know, I, that gives me some optimism, even if it is a person with ties to Harbaugh. Like, okay, well, if it's a younger person and if it's a person who, who got away from him 
for a little while and got the experience even you know i mean donald was only one year and did he really get away he went to another hardball got away from one he went to the other so did he really get away i don't know but it gave me some some reason to be optimistic because i said hey this guy even though he's from the tree he showed me that he's willing to listen to players right. and evolve yeah. how he approaches things based on what his players are telling him and what they think they're they're best at so I have some some reason for optimism with that. Um, you guys kind of hit on the big takeaways from the presser too. I don't, and I, I guess I kind of shared my stuff in between. I don't think I really have too much else. Is there, we can cycle through it one more time if you guys want. Is there anything else you guys have from the presser, or do you want to you want to jump to the the game that shall not be named? <laughs> I, I I got one more thing from the uh, the cornerback group. Um, I thought it was interesting that when they brought that up about uh cornerbacks um you know we know they have marlo obviously uh but we got marcus peters going to be a free agent uh kyle fuller who tore his acl the first game he's going to be a free agent um daryl warley's going to be a free agent who came on you know special teams dude and then you know we saw what happened on that, that uh during the Bengals game uh, body for- people yeah, just put people in body bags over there. So, um, you know, there, there's going to be some interesting decisions to be made. I mean, that's another route they could go in for the first round. You know, we see people saying, oh, you know, they could take a first round cornerback. And you're talking my language, that Keely Ringo language, you're talking my talk. <laughs> you know, hey, and and that's, a, that's a, a very good possibility because when you look at need and then you look at the talent, it – it kind of marries each other and you don't really see that that often. So it's a deep uh, cornerback group and uh, there's a lot of talented guys that uh, are projected to go in the first round. So I I wouldn't put it past them, Uh, but they did bring up some of the young guys. And I, and I think a a player who gets, he's the new Anthony Averett in my opinion. (laughs) And that's, that's Brandon Stevens. I think Brandon Stevens, when you watch him, he's close on a lot of these plays. Mm-hmm. He's very he's not just yeah. getting flat out beat and just getting his ass whooped up and down the field. He's right there on a lot of these plays where you know, credit, you know, the player, the wide receivers are catching the ball, but maybe in year 3 he makes that jump and he's able to get his hands on the ball. Like we saw that George Pickens play in the end zone mm-hmm. where he made a, a great play and got his hand in there, you know, last minute. And I think he's a guy who he takes a lot, a lot of criticism. And it's kind of similar to the way Anthony uh, Anthony Averitt was early on in his career, where he just took a lot of flack. And I just think this is a young player who I think folks forget that he's still learning how to play this position. Like, it's not like he played cornerback in college. You know, he's still learning. And he's right there on these plays. Right there. So I'm I'm still not closing the book on him. I'm not saying, oh yeah, he's CB two all day every day, but I'm also not gonna say he's trash. Get him off the field, you know, nothing like that. I think he's a, a solid option and a dude that has versatility too, where you can play him at safety, you can play him in the nickel, you can play him outside. You know, obviously, he's not gonna be that Marcus Peters type of player. And I'm not saying that at all, but I'm also definitely saying that he's not trash either the way a, a lot of folks on the timeline like to make a scene and you know we saw some good things from Pepe too you know he's a yeah. young player a guy that you know has some confidence 
another another guy who's able to play multiple positions. You know, he could play the inside, he could play outside, he can play that safety position as well. So he's another dude that you know he he was a fan favorite, and for good reason. You know, uh, when you see a young player like that who's you know willing to thump, willing to you know talk some smack to the opposing team, you know that that's good because we know half the game is confidence. And, you know, he has a lot of it. So hopefully he can build off of this rookie season and be able to, you know, have more of a prominent role going going into next season. And and then the, the true unknown is Jalen Omar Davis. You know, we saw him kind of, you know, be put in a rough spot in that Miami game. And that's kind of like the last real, like, big moment that we have in our brains of him. So uh, I think he's a guy who's – he has to stay healthy first and foremost because that's something he couldn't do at Alabama. And, you know, he ended the season on IR uh, his, for his rookie year. So that's something that – it remains a question mark. But I think, you know, the, the way that they're going to attack it, I, I think it's similar to the way that they'll attack the, the wide receiver room, you know, the draft and also bringing in a vet free agent. Uh, that, that room is incredibly young outside of Marlowe. So – I think, and we know that they don't want to just rely on on, on young players or, or rookies. They always want to have a vet in that room. You know, you could go all the way back to the Corey Ivy days when they had Corey mm-hmm. Ivy and he was the guy, or, you know, and you, you brought him up, but Brandon Carr too. You know, they like to have those vets in place to be able to put these younger dudes onto game. And uh, I, I think we'll see a similar attack to the way that they'll do wide receiver as far as bringing in a vet and, and a, a rookie. You know, you speak in my language when you start talking about DBs. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tyreek Hill has made a lot of guys look bad. Okay. So, oh, yeah. so JAD, hey, uh, we can't close the book on that. I mean, he's Tyreek's made a lot of dudes look bad. And then look, he gave up the stuff in that Patriots game, and that was it. Was <laughs> we didn't see him anymore <laughs> after that point. And then, of course, he had the injury. Uh, but I think, like you said, these young guys, man, you just have to be patient. And it's so hard for people to be patient these days. It's so hard to be patient because, you know, you see guys come in and have an immediate, have immediate success. You see young guys come in as rookies and, you know, just kind of set the league on fire. And then that becomes the expectation for every rookie. And that's not realistic. We know that. We know that. But yet we we don't know. <laughs> so or we ignore it, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Brandon Stevens, I think that's a great point. He was, he's been a favorite. People who listen to the fire zone know me and Denard love that dude. Uh, even though he, he cost me some money because he took Deshaun Elliott's spot. No hard feelings. <laughs> Still love that dude. But, yeah, you got a guy who converted from running back to DB in college, right, after I played running back for like two years. Uh, before he converted to DB and then walked on at SMU. And even then, kind of primarily played safety, a little bit of corner, but primarily safety. Then comes here in year one, different defensive coordinator, number one. You're still under Wink and that style, and you're still learning multiple positions, playing multiple positions. Year two, new defensive coordinator, different style, right? More zone, more off, that kind of thing. Now you're playing primarily outside corner, not as much safety. So it's been a lot of transition and a lot of learning for that guy and to me it can go that can go different ways some guys you know can excel at that some guys thrive on that because they have the aptitude to take it all in and and be able to process it all and kind of do it all and other guys 
it can kind of stunt them a little bit, you know, because it can become overwhelming at a certain point. It's just too much stuff coming. It's too much information, too much change coming. Um, I think he's somewhere in the middle. I don't think you ask guys to do all of those different things unless they have the aptitude to do it. So that's always a positive sign to me. Um, from in the most for most cases, let me let me throw that caveat. I think sometimes you get coaches who are just like, oh, let's try this, let's try that, uh, <laughs> and that can be a negative for the for the, for the player. But I still have a lot of a lot of confidence in Brandon Stevens, and I think you're right, uh, Chris. Let's let's give him one more season. Now it'll be his second year in this system, and um, I think that you could really see something. And then the draft. I've had an early look at a lot of those guys still got a lot more to do on them and a lot more guys to look at, but yeah, just, I'll just say this. You will hear me making the Jimmy Smith comp to Keely Ringo. If you have not heard it already, you will hear it (laughs) (laughs) because I just see shades of that guy. Uh, I see shades of Jimmy's game in Keely, big guys, super athletic. Um, I'd have to go back and dig on Jimmy's background a little bit because it's been a long time now. I don't know that he maybe had some of the rawness to his game coming out that Keeley has. I know he had that one issue where he kind of had an adjustment period uh, in terms of locating the ball. Like he was always close. His coverage was always close, but then he kind of was struggling to kind of locate and find the ball early on in his career. And then obviously he improved at that. Um, I kind of see a similar trajectory uh, for Keeley. Sometimes you see him get out of phase. Sometimes you have, you see him, you know, have some struggles to kind of locate and find the ball. Um, but he's a guy that has not been playing the position for very long. I think when he came to Georgia, well, he redshirted. I think he had an injury the first season he was there. Then he played every game in 2021, had that pick six in the championship game, and then he played every game in 2022. So, um, you know, when he was in high school, he was in Washington. He transferred to Arizona. He went to Segura, where Jason Mons was at. And Jason Mons, they've had uh, Christian Kirk came out of there. Um, one or two other NFL guys that came out of there that I'm blanking on now. Um, what's his name? The dude, the DB who played, um, Byron Murphy, he came out of there. And so when he transferred, he was a running back in Washington state, primarily a running back, played a little bit of receiver. Uh, he came to Segura and he thought he was going to be a wide receiver and they actually converted him to DB. So he's another one of those guys who hasn't been doing it a ton, you know, at, at that, at that position, not like he's been playing it, you know, all throughout. So I think that's why you may see a little bit of that rawness to his game. But all the physical traits are there. So I know I've gone back and forth on a lot of these guys. Christian Gonzalez is very good. Joey Porter is very good. Um, I'm blanking on some other names and some other guys out there. I mean, I think we saw in Dane's read his, uh, latest mock. I think he's got like five or six corners projected to go in the first round. <laughs> a lot of dudes out there. So like Chris said, the need and the talent could line up perfectly. Um, of course, we got a long way to go. There's always the chance that the Ravens don't stick and pick. We've seen that before, particularly since they don't have a second-round pick as of right now. So you never know. They may want to get out of there and try to get some picks, some additional picks. You just never know with the Ravens. So we'll see. we got a long, long way to go before we get to all of that. And that process is always something uh, people who, who kick it with us on this pod know we're super into the draft and, and, and that whole thing. So we got all the all-star game circuits coming up. Um, so that's going to be fun. Of course, free agency even before that. So we'll be able to get to all of that. So now to the game that I won't mention the name of. <laughs> <laughs> but let me start you here. There's a lot of different things to talk about with this game. 
let me start you here, right? Let me let me let me set this scene for you guys and for the folks that are listening. Okay, here's where we are. We're in the third quarter. Tyler Huntley has just thrown a touchdown pass that no one expected to deny to, to Demarcus <laughs> Robinson. But I guess we shouldn't say that because remember when they first signed him and we watched that preseason game. What was the touchdown? What was the route he scored on? Sluggo, slant go. Same, Same thing he scored yeah. on here. So maybe we should have seen it coming, right? It all came back. But anyway, so that happens, right? So we're about two minutes and 20 seconds left in the third quarter when he does that, right? Kickoff, Bengals get the ball. Defense three and out, right? Okay, game's tied at this point. 17-17, defense just three and out. Offense gets the ball back into the, you know, into the third quarter, going into the fourth quarter. Nice little drive going. Getting to the fourth quarter, he hits Mark Andrews for that 25-yarder. Next play, this is the big one. I know people, we're all going to talk about the fumble, and that's huge, obviously. But this one, to me, gets kind of underrated. Huntley runs for 35 yards, and Jesse Bates tackles him at the two. <laughs> Jesse Bates doesn't make that tackle? We're not even talking about reaching the ball out on that quarterback sneak. We ain't even talking about it if he gets in the end zone right there. So that's kind of an underrated play. But anyway... That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. Jesse Bates does make the tackle. Um, they run a couple plays after that, right? Uh, well, I mean, shoot, even even the play to Ricard. That I can't remember if somebody tipped that or if he just dirted that ball. I'm not sure. That's probably a touchdown. <laughs> that is probably a touchdown if that ball is is you know catchable. Uh, and then they gave it to Gus. Right thing to do, right? You're down there tight. You got 240 pound running back. Give it to him now. Like Denard said, I would have gave it to him four times in a row. <laughs> but, hey, hard uh, to argue with that. Yeah, but then they don't. Then the next play after that one carry to Gus. Gus gets a yard. They're at the one. Now it's probably a long one, but they're at the one, and they call the sneak, and we know what happens from there. Um, so I just wanted to set that scene. I wanted to start us there because, like I said, you could talk about other stuff in the game. And uh, certainly, you know, we'll we'll open that up if you guys want to do that. But I like starting there because I'm like, that was such a critical stretch. You had the momentum. Everything seemed to be going the Ravens' side, going the Ravens' way. At that point, I'm thinking, they really going to pull this off. They really about to do this because they're going to go up 24-17. The defense is playing well. I'm like, man, they about to have these boys, you know what, and then they paying <laughs> <laughs> on that Bengals sideline, because now all the pressure shifts, right? You're supposed to win. This ain't even supposed to be close, right? Ravens don't have Lamar, and now you're down seven at home in the fourth quarter. I'm like, this is about to be in these boys' heads. And then, of course, the the whole thing turns on uh, that Sam Hubbard, you know, 98 yard return. So, start with you on this one, Chris. The game, it was there. It really was there. For the for the Ravens to win this game, and uh, I don't know, man. I don't even know what to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> it was, man. It was there, you know. I, and I told you guys, like, I feel like the the best team did not win that night. Um, I, I think it was pretty clear that the Ravens were the best team. Um, but like you said, you know, critical factors, whether it's execution, whether it's play calling wasn't there at, the, at that critical time. You know, that that's that possession at the goal line that you just laid out for everybody, that was so important. And, you know, you could blame Tyler Huntley. You could blame Giro. But at the end of the day, it's, that can't happen. You know, the, the, 
he shouldn't be put in that position. No. You know, like like you said, Denard said, hey, give it to Gus. Hey, give it to J.K. Give it to J.K. Maybe give J.K. should get a carry. I don't know. Maybe he should get a carry in the red zone. I don't know. Call him crazy. Give, yeah, like, and it's and it's like his frustration was everybody else's frustration. Uh, it felt like when he tweeted that out, and well, not tweeted it out when the video came out. He said he, yeah. he, he looked right into the camera, like you know, like he was breaking the fourth wall. He was like, "I'm <laughs> to talking day. to you <laughs> to this day." Yeah, so, <laughs> and and rightfully so. I mean, you know, you rest the guy the the week before, and we're thinking like, "Oh, damn, this is about to be a J.K. game," you know, and. He's making plays. Scored the touchdown earlier. Had the nice little little catch and and, and uh, the the shiftiness in the open field for a nice big gain. And you just forget about him. Yeah. That that's happened too many times. Where, hey, why didn't Gus get any carries? Mm. I don't know. I'm I don't not know. sure. I could go back and look at that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that, that, that he should have. Happen. You know, they like to say that he should have. You're right. Yeah. He should have gotten more carries. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it's like it's it's simple, you know. It's you need these scores. You have your backup quarterback in. Don't like um, uh, John Strickland used to say. He used to say, "Don't don't play with your breakfast." <laughs> you know, eat, eat your food. Yeah. And right then, they had a perfect time, a perfect chance. You know, with within within a, a touchdown to just punch it in. And they got cute. You know, I, I get it. Like, you know, if the throw is better to Ricard, it's most likely a touchdown. But I have a hard time believing if you run J.K. and Gus four times that they won't be able to get three yards. I have a we difficult saw, time believing that. But we saw this with the Giants offense all year. One of their best red zone plays was direct snap it to Saquon. <laughs> Take Daniel <laughs> Jones out of it. Just put the ball right in Saquon's hands and let him find a way to score. So you got these two dynamic running backs. Let's just give it to them. Yeah. Let's give and, it and, and you know what? Like, you know, try, trying to be on a positive side, because I know it's easy to be negative after a loss like that, where you get your hopes up and everything looks good. But I'm, I'm super proud of how the players battled. You know, the players battled their asses off. And, you know, granted, it was the worst play of the game. But also, it was a bright spot, too, for a guy like Mark Andrews because you see him. And I'm like, this dude's about to tear off every fiber of his hamstring trying to get to Sam Hubbard because he was trucking it to try to catch up to him and and make that tackle. Ran past Gus. It's past Gus. Yeah, Gus was like, nah, I'm good. I ain't doing all of that. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, that, that that was good to see. Because you you know that just shows you how much it meant to to Mark Andrews, and you know he's come under criticism for big games, you know, of not really showing up for big games, and he showed up for this one. Showed up, you know, had some big boy catches in this game, and uh, you know playing wide receiver too in this game. So you know, major props to him, and you know, just props to you know all the guys on the team because you could really see that they put their all into this game, and. It almost resulted in a win, but unfortunately, uh, just they couldn't pull it off. Well, coaching couldn't pull it off, as I would say. But um, you know, I, I'm I'm encouraged going into uh, into next season because I I do think they have the guys, the core guys, on this team, and then the complementary players. 
And you just got to add just a little few things here and there. But, you know, I, I was very encouraged by the way that they came out and, and they played. I, I, I do feel like they left it all out there. You know, it was it this didn't feel like the other playoff games where you could kind of feel them being like they were just defeated before the game was even finished. You know, you, you kind of felt that in the in – well, you definitely felt that in the Tennessee game, the first one. Yeah. And you you felt that in the Bills game where it just – they were just lifeless and dead. After that big six, it was like, that's it. Yeah, it was just – their soul was just snatched out. But for this game, like, even early on, it was – it was it would have been easy for them to just tuck their tails in after that – the the Huntley interception early on. And it was like, oh, damn, here we go again. But no, they didn't do that. You know, they rose to the occasion and they were like, we got you. And then the offense responded. And it was just, it, it was it was beautiful up until that fumble. But, uh, you know, I, I'm encouraged by, by this team, though. I, I'm very encouraged. Yeah, I've come around on that series. I know when I first watched it and, you know, some of the initial reactions after the game, I'll admit I was probably less on criticizing the play call inside um, than other people because I'm like, look, is it is is it ideal when you have Gus and J.K. and even a Mark Andrews if you want to throw the ball to throw it to Patrick Ricard? No, his ass was open. <laughs> so, <laughs> don't throw the ball at his ankles. Don't throw it at his ankles. <laughs> but I still think that ball may have been tipped too. So I I, I don't want to you know just just I had to go back and, and rewatch that because I think somebody did share a clip where it looked like it, it got tipped by a Bengals defensive lineman. I don't remember. That, that might have been a different play. But anyway. Uh, but I've come around. I actually have come around because Denard and now you and and and, and Carrie, you know, I, I do get just from a high level, like, all right, don't back out from the nitty gritty of, yeah, the design of that play was solid enough and the guy was open, give him a good ball and he catches it. Back out high level. Who are your best players on offense right now? Is it Patrick Ricard? No. <laughs> Is it Tyler Huntley? Probably not. Is it J.K., Gus, and if you do want to throw it, Mark Andrews? Yeah, those are the best guys. So if you're going to do those things, if you're going to throw it, throw it to Mark Andrews. If you're going to run it, J.K. or Gus. J.K.'s got to get touches in the red zone, right? I mean, he had 17 touches in this game. They got 13 carries and four catches. That's cool. But none in the red zone? I mean, he had that one. He had the catch in the red zone, but no touches, no, no, no carries, excuse me, in the red zone? No, nah, that's like I said, I'm – Going back to the Giants thing, they kept it real simple. Who's our best player? Saquon. We get in the red zone. Saquon's touching the ball on, you know, if we're, if we're down tight like that and inside the five, like the Ravens were, probably on at least two, maybe in some cases, three of those plays, <laughs> Saquon is touching the ball some shape, form, or fashion. Shoot, I was like, hey, you know what? Let Gus snap it and give it to JK. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> touch the ball. <laughs> However, you want to do it, you need your best players to touch the ball in those situations. So that's what kind of brought me around, right? I was too down in the weeds on the specifics of the design. Like, no, nah, this should have worked. It was right there. You got to throw the ball. Now it's 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 more high level than that, right? And it's simpler than that. Give the balls to your best players. Give them to your best players. Yeah, and man, if you fail, if you fail doing that, then I mean, you 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 can't you can't be too upset. You know, if, if you give it to your best guys and they're not able to get it done. Right. Yeah. At, at those big times, you need to lean on those guys. You know, those, players, those not players. players, not exactly. plays. Players, not plays. Exactly. That's, that's the perfect way to sum it up. <laughs> yep. 
players, not plays. And I lost sight of that. I was so focused on the plays. It's like, nah, man, this is coaching 101, like good coaching 101. In the, throughout the game, you should be thinking players, not plays. But particularly in the most critical situations, you, be, you should be thinking players, not plays. I don't give a damn how you get them the ball. <laughs> you get those dudes the ball and let them make it happen. Because the way J.K. was playing in that game, they weren't going to stop him. He wasn't going to get stopped down there. Not, not on most. I mean, maybe you get him on one. But you give him to him two or three times, he's getting the ball in the end zone down there. Three yards? On a mission. Yeah. Three yards. He was, he was on a mission in that game. He was absolutely on a mission. Kerry, let me come to you, man. Um, like I told Chris, it was there. Chris laid it all out. Um, I wasn't really disappointed. I said this on Fire Zone. I wasn't, I was disappointed in the outcome, but it's hard, like like Chris mentioned, it's hard to be disappointed in and maybe maybe disappointed in some of the play calls, but it's hard to be disappointed <laughs> in the players because it feels like those guys left everything out there. And really to a large extent, even the even the play call, I was surprised here Denard say this. Even Denard said, Hey, I didn't really have a big issue with the play calling on offense or defense. He said, you know, a couple plays here or there on offense. And obviously we talked about that series. But for a guy who has been wanting Giro out of here for a couple of years now, <laughs> I was surprised that he said, I didn't have as big an issue with it overall, you know, throughout the game as I did in other games. But again, in the most critical situations, he said it's been situational awareness and situational execution. And he said that is what has you know, haunted this team in the playoffs the last couple of years on, on offense and, and on defense at times it's, it's been situational football that has really got them. Um, but anyway, what are your takeaways from that game, Gary? Yeah. I mean, on both sides of the ball, I thought they played a, a brand of football that is conducive with, with winning in the playoffs um, defensively, I thought it was even more confirmation that they made the right hire at defensive coordinator um, to hold that offense in check multiple times is not something to scoff at. And it was nothing magical. It was nothing smoke and mirrors. It was like not a bunch of turnovers in the game. It was something that's very repeatable, in my opinion. And so that was great to see. Um, and I, I think it's something that him being a first-year NFL coordinator is something that he's going to build on. And them having so much young uh, talent in the room, in, you know, in, in all the position rooms, I think bodes well. And it's something that they can continue to build on and um, you know, be able to play a style of uh, complementary defense uh, to the offense uh, that is going to keep them in games. Um, you know, like you said, 30 to 30, do whatever it is you want to do. You know, you want to get down on the ground and break dance and, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, once we get to that 20, you got to come to me. Yeah. So, <laughs> <That's it. laughs> and, and I think that's what they did. And, and so I, I was very impressed by that offensively. Uh, in the passing game, I thought there were a couple timely plays made, and it was very reminiscent of, um, not to throw salt in the wound, but it was very reminiscent of the the Titans playoff game that they lost uh, on the Titans side. 
yeah. uh, where they made a couple timely plays in the passing game and just played within themselves and did what they did best. Unfortunately, they didn't do that quite enough to win this game. And what it kind of came back to me was I was thinking about something that you said, Mike, and what sparked it is something I saw in a broadcast of a Lions game. And they were talking about the um, the Lions office coordinator, um, Ben Johnson, and what he said that his approach on offense is to try to uh, create the illusion of complexity. That's it. You know, I'm going to do what we do best. I'm going to dress it up, you know, put some people in motion, put it in different formations, but it's going to be the same plays. It's going to be the same concepts. It's going to be the same strengths. You know, we're going to do what we do, but I'm going to create the illusion that we're doing something different. And when you look at that offense, who led the NFL in rushing touchdowns? Jamal Williams. Mm-hmm. When, it, when it got into that money area, they knew how their bread was butter and they got, they got a football. And unfortunately, you know, we have two guys in, in Gus and JK that that didn't happen when it should have happened. And, you know, I don't want to boil it down to just that, but, you know, I would say a lion's share of it is that that's why they lost the, the game. So, uh, and, and tying it back to what you said, Mike, you know, when you talked about Giro's offense and you talked about a handful of concepts that he does very well, um, but just doesn't do enough to create that illusion of, uh, you know, uh, of complexity. You know, not, sp- you know, you kind of got to spam people over and over again with the stuff that you do well. And I think that was his, 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 his biggest fault. You know, as a coordinator, it's, you know, why, you know, what happened today happened. I think the biggest reason is that. And so from that game, that was just my biggest takeaway. It was, you know, it was a classic Giro game. You know, we saw a lot of good things. Um, but at the end of the day, it just, it wasn't enough of leaning on what you do best, your best players. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, just a bit of them again. Yeah, that, that's, that was a constant theme for me since 2019. Since, well, I mean, I started charting a run game in 2018, but he took over in 2019. So since I started charting his run game in 2019, I, and I can show people, I have this in my notes on some of my sheets. I always say stuff like, it was too much, but not enough. That's always with them. It's too much, but not enough. It's like, all right, you got all of these different things. And I think he's a guy who gets more caught up in plays at times than players. And it's like, yeah, I can do exactly what you just described, Kerry. When I say I, I mean Giro. I can give the illusion of complexity, but it's power. It's power. That's all I'm going to run. I'm just going to keep running power. But I can do it with a bunch of different guys. I can pull guards i can pull tackles i can pull fullbacks i can pull tight ends i can pull wide receivers i can pull other running backs i can do all of that but it's power it's the same play right so he's really good at that part of it with that particular play and some some other plays as well some of the quarterback run game stuff too obviously he he had you know same kind of philosophy right it looks like something else but it's 
QB power. You can you can come up with bash and power read all these other terms I like to throw around. It's QB power. <laughs> okay, it's QB run with a lead blocker, sometimes two lead blockers. Dress it up a bunch of different ways. Okay, I've got that. But like you said, how do I make that an offense and not just a collection of plays? Right? Anybody right. can just randomly pick from a collection. I mean, it's like playing, you know, an eight or nine year old Madden. I can just pick a bunch of random plays, <laughs> but that's not an offense, right? An offense is a system where things build off of each other, right? Things, you know, you they set up other things. So to me, that was always kind of the disconnect. It's like, oh, this is cool. Look at this run. Oh, this is cool. Look at that design. A lot of cool, but not enough effect in a lot of cases. You know what I mean? So, um, and then the plateau the whole plateau thing you you made that point perfectly i love that phrase a floor razor but not a ceiling razor so <laughs> it's like it always kind of plateaus um but hey we don't have to we don't have to beat up on giro anymore because you know like we led with the show you know soon as he left town <laughs> 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 and now we can start looking you know at whoever's gonna come uh and, and take over this role next and that's gonna really be exciting it's gonna be exciting to see that search uh, to hear about the different candidates and to see what direction um, they take it in. Anything else from that game you guys want to talk about? Or we think we no, have... just, just piggybacking off of what you just said, I, I think it's it's a little bit of a relief to um, move past the Giro stuff because I, I think it's, it's become very, very, very tiresome <laughs> over the last two, three seasons where people just you know, you could be talking about, you know, uh, the kicker, and they're gonna be like, "But Giro." <laughs> so I'm glad that that we're past this point now, and you know, hopefully move forward, and we don't have to hear all of this Giro stuff anymore. And and you know, hope, hopefully to make the right hire. Yeah, we we thrown out a couple of names, and you know, who knows? Maybe we'll do a show, um, depending on how quickly or slowly things move for them in their search where we we kind of share some thoughts on some different guys out there i know i need to do a little bit more looking around but we mentioned a couple names now give me one of them johnsons yeah Jim johnson <laughs> give me a brian johnson, <laughs> give <me a> johnson. <laughs> and i think i think i'll feel pretty comfortable with one of those i know ben johnson uh for the, the lions offensive coordinator just said that he he wants to stay there i forget was it the panthers it was some job that he turned that he didn't want to interview for i don't remember which one um, but basically announced that he wanted to stick with the Lions. Now, hey, money talks. I don't know what they might have been offering in those other <laughs> in those other positions. What we we sort of uh, saw floating around out there today is a report that Giro might have been making around three and a half million dollars this year, which is probably in the upper echelon of what offensive coordinators were getting paid. So it was about money. Um, you know, I, I think that they they've shown you know that they'll commit. Uh, financial resources to an offensive coordinator uh but yeah get one of them johnsons man maybe maybe uh, <laughs> you know brian johnson the quarterback coach from the eagles a guy we've talked about in years past he was still in college i think the last time we talked about him actually i think he was still coaching at florida um but he was the guy who we were kind of looking at as um somebody who maybe was ready to take that next step up to the pro game and come in and coach um one of these guys and man it would have been would have been perfect if they could have got him at the time that he went to the Eagles. But, hey, it is still an opportunity for him to get a promotion, 
you know, go from quarterbacks coach to offensive coordinator. And um, I think you look at the role that he's played in Jalen Hurts' development this year, and you'd say, you know what? I think that's like, I think that's somebody I'd like to have work with Lamar, <laughs> you know, in terms of uh, what he's done and working with guys in the past, like Dak. Obviously, we talked about it. He coached Dak in Mississippi State, um, coached some of the guys at Florida, um, Kyle Trask. I mean, look, he, if you can, no knock on Kyle Trask. I'm just saying, if you can, <laughs> if you can develop that guy and get him into the NFL, uh, you know that's 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 impressive uh, for sure. And a guy who played quarterback. I, I, I mentioned that with T. I'm not saying that you have to be a former quarterback to be an offensive coordinator and, and to be a good one because I don't think that's true. We see that around the league, but I think those guys see the game differently. You know what I mean? Because you think about quarterbacks and what they have to do. They have to know the entire offense. They have to know the passing game, obviously. Duh. But they also have to know the run game. They have to know protections. So they have to know the entire offense. So I think they just see things from a different perspective. But we've seen guys, whether they've been former offensive linemen um, or, or you know, offensive line tight end coaches like Andy Reid, you know, turn into really good coordinators. But I think Andy Reid also um, surrounds himself with a lot of different ideas, whether that's Eric B. Enemy, whether that's some of the other younger guys, Mike Kafka, who's the Giants OC. He's another guy um, who I think is kind of an up-and-comer, um, you know, had, had worked and kind of grew up in that Andy Reid environment. Reid surrounds himself with a bunch of different ideas, uh, which I think is another good thing to do as a play caller. Instead of you just having it all in your head, this is my offense, mm -hmm. and we're going to run these things that I do. You guys can maybe give me some ideas about what I do. <laughs> but, no, I think what Andy Reid said is, hey, scour the universe. Go out there and find all of the other, the best ideas that are out there. High school, college, other NFL teams. I don't care. Bring me everything. And then let's see if we can find a way to incorporate some of that stuff into what we do. Um, so I respect that about uh, about him and the guys that have kind of come from him. So we'll see. Maybe we'll do something like that. Um, I think it's always kind of fun. Denard and I did that last year with the defensive guys. We kind of like uh, put mug shots up. <laughs> and had like a little slide presentation. <laughs> here's this guy. Here's his background. We kind of went through like all of the guys. Once it had been reported, the guys that they were interviewing uh, or had interviewed, we kind of just went through everybody. And then, of course, it ended up being Mike McDonald. He was in the slideshow, though. We had him in there. Um, I don't think we put any odds on who we thought it was going to be, but he was in there. I think Denard was looking for – I don't remember if it was the guy who had coached with the Seahawks. It might have been Chris Richard. I don't know who he was, but yeah, uh, I don't remember. Yeah, but we we we, we I think we kind of knew in our heart of hearts that it's probably going to be McDonald. If they interviewed him, it's <laughs> it probably going to be McDonald. It's almost like he was sent away to get that coordinator experience for a year. Because that's that. You know what? Good point. Before I before we wrap this thing up, that that was something that I think we looked at last year. And I don't know if it's true for offense or not, but I think on defense we had seen that I don't know that the last couple of coordinators that he hired, they, they were guys who had been coordinators somewhere else uh, aside from Wink. Well, no, Wink had been a coordinator back with the Broncos. Yeah, he yeah. had that one year. wasn't wasn't great, uh, but he was with Josh McDaniel. But, so he had that track record on defense of, you know, guys that had been coordinators before, you know, he would hire them. Now, I don't know if that's the same case um, on offense. I remember going back and doing that now. Yeah, it just popped into my mind because we went back. And I remember it kind of stood out to us. We looked at that that one year. Maybe it was more than one year. But they had Dean Pease, 
Wink and Leslie Frazier all on the defensive staff. We're like, damn, I forgot all three of those dudes are on the staff at the same time. <laughs> and and all three of them, you know, have been coordinators uh, and, and pretty successful ones um, in the league. So I have to look at that offensively. Um, if he's ever hired an offensive guy who wasn't a coordinator prior to him hiring him. Uh, just as I'm thinking off the top of my head, Kubiak obviously was, Tressman was, uh, Marty was, Roman was, Cam was. Caldwell, you got to think Caldwell was probably a coordinator somewhere um, before they promoted him. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that he's ever had a coordinator on either side of the ball who wasn't a coordinator somewhere else. So, well, something we know, to think about. We, we know Brian Johnson got some coordinator experience. Yeah, yeah, he definitely does. So, and that, that's the other thing. I don't, I don't even know if it had to be at the pro level. I think most of the, I think the defensive guys had all been coordinators at the pro level. But I don't think it has to be. We saw it with Mike McDonald. Don't have to be at the pro. Right. Level. Be in the college level. He, I think he just likes to have people who've done it before, instead of yeah. somebody who is like, all right, this is going to be their first time doing it. Because, you know what, I think if he had been a coordinator, maybe he'd feel more comfortable with that. If he had been an offensive or a defensive coordinator, I think Harbaugh might be more comfortable with having a first-time guy because they could kind of rely on him, you know what I mean? But he's not done yeah. that. So I think he's like, no, nah, I need you to have done it because <laughs> yeah. I'm relying on you, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and obviously you'll have other people on your offensive staff that can help you too, other coaches. But I'm kind of kind of relying on you to, you know, when things need to be, you know, when you need to problem solve, which that's that's a big part of coordinating on either side of the ball is, is problem solving. Uh, you know, that you have the resources and the and the team to be able to do that. So anyway, that'll be fun. It'll be fun to look at all yeah. of that. I'm 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 excited. I'm looking forward to it. Anything else you guys want to hit on this episode before we close this thing out? Yeah, one more thing I'll say as far as the coordinator. Um, position in that hire, I would like to see um, multiple hires when that's done. And I say that from the standpoint of, um, you know, say if it's Brian Johnson and say maybe they have a quality control coach under him that may be looking for a step up, you know, I, I would like to see, you know, multiple hires made just so you have somebody else that can that can kind of speak the language and cascade things down and develop it. You know, I, I think um, it's a little bit more of a challenge if you bring in just the OC and you run back the whole coaching staff and then you have this one guy tasked uh, with trying to communicate his vision um, by himself. So, you know, that that's something I think would be uh, important. And it also kind of gives you, um, you know, uh, another option going forward because, you know, offensive coordinator is the biggest springboard there is to a head coaching job. And so mm -hmm. if they hire a guy and he comes out with Lamar and, you know, they, they add to the wide receiver room and, he, and they come out and light, light, light it up, He's going to be a head coaching candidate yeah, as early as next season, and so <laughs> he could be out of out of here really quick. So I think it, 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 it needs to be multiple hires, getting other people in the room that um, you know obviously can speak that language, but also um, 
can be guys you can consider for the coordinator position going forward because, you know, like you just laid out, Harbaugh doesn't have an offensive background. He doesn't call plays. Um, you know, that's the, the downside of having a non-offensive um, background guy as your head coach is, you know, if you lose a coordinator, you're, you're back to square one. And so I think they definitely need to get some guys, um, more than one guy, to kind of infuse this coaching staff, uh, you know, with just some different ideas and, and, and to, again, try to marry the run game and the passing game and, and, and try to fix the, um, the disconnect between the, the coaches and, and the guys that are picking the players. And then just the trickle-down effect of that as well is – Let's say, for instance, they hire somebody off of the Shanahan tree. Um, well, hell, that's a third of the league um, is running, you know, it, it guys off that tree or running that system. That becomes a lot more attractive to potential free agents, to potential guys and trades that have played in the system that, you know, oh, well, yeah, it's Lamar Jackson. Is a system I'm familiar with. I can go there and I can be productive. There's not that dis, dis, that disdain over the past offense as has been, you know, the last couple of years with G Row, where you know it's never been flat out people come out and say it, but you, you've heard, um, you know, whispers and thoughts of, you know, I can't really get stats in that system. Yeah, well, wide receivers said it. They yeah. damn sure said it. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so, <laughs> can't nobody eat that. <laughs> yeah, so that to have you know, if you and I, you know, throw the Shanahan system out there as uh, an example because you know, me and Mike have talked about this and Chris too. Um, just if you're talking about a transition um, from a play style and personnel standpoint that makes a lot of sense, um, you know, with what they currently have. And so if you look at how they do things and how they uh, create opportunities for players over the field and create yak opportunities, um, you know, if you, if you bring in that kind of system, you know, it's going to be a lot more attractive to players and free agency, you know, as guys look at it and say, Hey, I can, I can, I can do some things in this system as opposed to before where, you know, it's not really a system that, you know, from a passing game standpoint, it doesn't really create a lot of advantages for for you. Um, you know, you kind of have to win on your own in isolation, those kind of things. But, you know, there is a trickle-down effect of if they get this higher right, that, you know, it's going to be a more attractive situation for, um, for you know, potential free agents and, and you know, in the draft. Yeah, the thing about that Shanahan system about Kyle in particular that I think sometimes people forget. I mean, people look at him and you can kind of look at their current situation and you talk about, well, look, there's almost been no drop off. They got Brock Purdy. You know, I got this rookie and there's been like no drop off. It's similar to what I was saying about Giro and not being like a true option coach. Kyle has been around that system his whole life, <laughs> literally right. his entire life. His dad ran it. He's been around it his whole life. So there's nothing defenses can throw at him that he has not seen what the counter is for it. So, yeah, he's going to be one of the best at it, and he's going to be able to do it under 
different circumstances, losing quarterbacks, losing Debo, losing run, whatever, because yeah, the players are important. Don't get me wrong. The players are always going to be number one um, in, in terms of what can take something that's already good and take it to another level. But he's able to sustain some of that stuff because he's like, look, I got the answer to the test. There's nothing that you can show me defensively that, yeah, maybe it takes me a play or a series to kind of, oh, this is what they're doing? Oh, okay, what's our go-to for that? I know that. He's going to get to that because he's been around it his entire life. Um, So I think that's something that kind of gets a little bit lost on why he has so much success, even with changing circumstances, because he didn't just dip his toe in a system. He that that <laughs> that's what he breathes. It's like air, you know. He breathes that system. Yeah. He knows it. he doesn't even have to think about it. Um, but you make a really good point. A couple good points actually about bringing somebody else with you, and that's something that you know I didn't necessarily think about. But whoever you hire an offensive coordinator is probably going to want to bring some people with them. They may have ideas for who they want their QB coach to be, who they want their wide receiver coaches to be. Please don't change them. But they might want to have somebody else come in, uh, to be their wide receiver or running back coach or tight O-line, whatever. They're probably going to have some people that they want to bring with them. Um, and like you said, that can be good because if that that person who's calling the plays has a ton of success, they're going to get that, that head coach um, interest. And so you've got somebody kind of waiting the wings. It's also good from an installation standpoint. Because if you come in and you're the only person who knows your offense and you're teaching it to, let's say, they, like you said, hypothetically, they keep the rest of the staff here. You have to teach it to the rest of those guys and they have to learn it. Now, when those guys break out and they're in their position meetings and players are like, okay, well, why do we do this? Or what happens when we do that? Or when the defense does this? Those guys may not be able to answer those questions without going back to the OC because they don't know that system. They're still learning it too. So I think it helps to have somebody else even – you know, in addition to the OC at the position level, who knows that offense? Because like I said, I think to me, this is just something that I've come to kind of think about more. The biggest thing with all of these systems is problem solving. Can you fix it? Yeah. What happens when it breaks? What happens when a defense breaks it? What happens when an offense breaks it? How do you fix it? I think that's the biggest thing is that you have to know that because look, when it's going good, anybody can get out there and call them plays. But when somebody stops it or counters it, how do you fix it? And guys who've been around and who know systems in and out, they know the fixes. And I, so I think that's that's important to have somebody else in addition to the OC at the position coach level um, that they bring with them that can help teach that and answer some of those questions um, that would inevitably come up. Um, so you hit on some really good points there. Chris, did you want to speak on any of that or any thoughts on any of that? Just it, it's going to be a lot of competition because, you know, I don't I'm not sure what the statistics are year after year, but I think that was 10 teams that are yeah. know, running for offensive yeah. coordinator. Like, I don't Damn. I don't remember it being like that ever. It's a lot. It's a lot. So, you know, it, it's it's going to be rough. Uh, it's going to be some hard competition out there to get the guy that they want. And but the good thing is the Ravens are in a position where. They have a team in place where, you know, you're not going to scraps. You know, you got a good offensive line, got good running backs, got Lamar, got Mark Andrews, you got hopefully, you know, Bateman coming back and whoever they add on top of what they what's already on the roster. So it's it's a nice a nice team to be coming into if you're an offensive coordinator who's looking to really get their name out there and and really take that next step as far as being on that journey to getting 
what you would think the ultimate goal is, which is a head coaching job. And you would think like, yeah, Lamar can run my offense, you know. So this is going to get me to where I need to be. So I think they're probably up there with, say, maybe the Chargers, too, who also have, you know, young quarterback, good offensive line, good running back, uh, good wide receivers. So I think those are the two top teams when you look on paper as far as the the best destinations for uh, an offensive coordinator who would, you know, like to see a, a, a roster that where they can instill their system and the, having the players there to really execute that system that they want to bring. Hey, who would you want to work with? A former MVP, unanimous league MVP, or social media coordinator? <laughs> I knew I'm, you were going there. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I knew you were going there. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I mean, look, I, me, me and Denar talk about this all the time. That dude's got all of the physical tools in the world. All of the physical tools in the world. Absolutely. But there's something that just ain't quite right. <laughs> something yeah. that's just not quite right. Maybe it was Joe Lombardi. Maybe it was the OC. I don't know. Before that, was it Anthony Lynn? Who's who's calling plays for them when Anthony Lynn? I, again, like Carrie always says, at some point, when is it like okay, the conditions we can't make them perfect. Okay, we can't make them perfect. Now, maybe it's just a matter of just they 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 just haven't found the right play caller for him yet. It could be that. We certainly see that fit. We know how important fit is in all situations. It, it, it's huge. Um, some of these books that I read, they talk about, they, it, it's the same thing as fit, but they, they put like a fancier term on it. They call it match quality, right? And they talk about people going from different jobs or working in different industries and working in different sectors. And um, one of the stories they talked about, Colonel Sanders, right? Kentucky Fried Chicken. Man failed at like 25 different jobs before he hit it big with Kentucky. I mean, like, tried everything. Selling encyclopedias, selling vacuum cleaners, doing, like, he was always in sales to some extent. And then uh, the pressure cooker, he certainly didn't invent it. I mean, he'd been around. But he was, like, one of the first people to mass market the idea of cooking chicken in a pressure cooker. Obviously, black folks have been doing it forever. But he was the first person <laughs> to, like, mass market it in a commercial sense, right? And then he's in his 60s at this point, and he hits. You know, so it was just one of those match quality things. It had to be the right match of circumstances for him to have the success that he had. So maybe that's it with Justin Herbert. I don't. I, I just think it's funny that that Acho calls him that. Uh, <laughs> so I had to sneak that in. But I don't. I don't have no ill will toward him because he he is a talented dude. He's a super talented dude. And um, you know, I, I hope that he does have more success than what he's had because that's going to be hard to come back from. Losing a game in that fashion, that thing can stay with you mentally. If if you're not the kind of person, you know, who can, you know, kind of put that kind of thing behind you, that can stay with you for the rest of your career. I mean, that's that's a brutal <laughs> that was a brutal yeah. situation. I straight turned it off. So I was like, this is done. Yeah. It's over. I started watching a movie. I woke up the next morning and it was like, what? I mean, I was playing Jenga. I was like, just turn it off. We start playing. I mean, we was already playing Jenga, but I was like, you yeah, know, we can turn something else on in the background because this thing is over. Next thing I know, you know, you wake up the next morning, Jags won. I was like, yeah, damn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe he really is a social media court. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I think that's it for this episode. Um, nice meaty one, you know, touched on a bunch of topics. I think people uh, will be able to dig in and uh, there'll be a lot to unpack from this when y'all go back and listen 
Uh, we're recording this, was it Thursday night? Uh, we'll have it out for you tomorrow, Friday morning, hopefully around 9 a.m. I get my stuff together. And uh, look, as always, like, subscribe. Um, you know, I, I like to always remind people and, and promote uh, Carrie's uh, fantasy content. Now that we're transitioning away from the football season, basketball. I don't know. Do you do you write basketball stuff? Do you put basketball stuff out too? Oh nah, man. I'm okay. I'm I'm more so trying to learn it. Okay. Than anything. So yeah, I, I basketball DFS is just me just trying to learn and try to get lucky. So you know, maybe at some point I'll get to the point where I feel comfortable enough to like you know really put it out there like that, but. Right now, I'm just I'm just you know learning like everybody else. God bless you, man. I tried it a couple seasons ago, and I was like that gift with the, all of the numbers and the letters going. <laughs> oh man, it, it's 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 it overwhelmed. Me. But yeah, it's it's crazy. Like you know, you can just be sitting there, and then all of a sudden, oh, like um, was it last night? I think it might have been last night. Um, forgot which team it was. One of the players had an illness, um, like COVID-like symptoms. He went from not being on the injury report to questionable. Maybe like 10 minutes later, two more guys go on the list. And I think four guys end up getting ruled out. And so, like, you know, in a matter of minutes, you got to figure out, okay, well, if this guy's out of rotation – Who's getting into the rotation? What does it mean? Who's getting more minutes? And it, yeah, it's chaos, man. I, 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 as a matter of fact, I don't recommend it. So like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I tried, and I experienced that because you know you're coming from the football world, and you're like, okay, you got Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, got the injury reports, and you have like an hour before yeah, the you game. Just, you just worry about inactive. You know, yeah. eleven thirty when they're inactive. Hey, let's roll. Like minutes before the tip off. Right. Dude just get rolled out. <laughs> I was like, I, how do people how do people make any money doing this? So uh, I was like, I'm out. I, I I tried it and I was like, it's just too much, man. It's so much information too. Yeah. It's so much information. I was just like, I can't, I, I can't do it. <laughs> so okay, so I won't, I won't, uh, I won't push any of that. Uh, matter of fact, like you said, we'll do the opposite. We'll tell people, you know, don't play. <laughs> just don't do it. You know, save your sanity. Uh, stick with football. It's a little bit, you know, less. It's still a lot of information, but I think it's it's not as chaotic, um, in my opinion. So, you know, come back for that for sure. Right. Uh, obviously, you'll be doing all the draft stuff again next year. Uh, another good run. Like again, I used your tears again this year. Had a good run at it. Didn't win a damn thing, but you know, had a decent <laughs> run. Uh, and actually, I did in one league. I did get to the championship game. It got beat by Vass of all people. Ugh. Shame. <laughs> shame. A vast love you, man. Hey, look, congratulations. Uh, no, no shade. You were the better team, but uh philosophically, team all in against team draft and develop, draft and develop went down in embarrassing fashion <laughs> in the championship game. <laughs> but again, you got me there following your tier advice. And you know, the players uh that you had within those tiers, you know, helped me build that roster that helped me get there. So that's all you can yeah. do, right? As as somebody who who provides content, you share your perspective. Hopefully, people listen and and you know, for me with your stuff, it's 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 as much about the thought process behind how you get to some of the players as the players themselves. Yeah, 
And that's so what I try. I try to stress. Is, and I try to like show my work as far as the thought process and just get people in the mindset of just like thinking the game out. And so, you know, that's, that's all I want to do is just uh, be able to show that and help people just be able to think it out and make decisions based off of that. So, you know, I, you know, I was down sick, but you know, this week I'll be back at it with, you know, obviously my DFS plays and, um, you know, already prepping for the off season. I got some things coming as far as dynasty goes and getting you ready for rookie drafts, getting you ready for dynasty, getting you a head start on redraft. So I, I got a lot of interesting stuff coming. So, you know, definitely stay tuned, you know, Still working over here for sure. Stay tuned for Carrie and stay tuned with Chris. Chris, you've already done, um, you know, a draft prospect watch. Yes, sir. On a couple of guys, um, and I know that you thought of you. You talked about doing wide receivers. Wide receivers, your next position. Yeah, but uh, um, caddy cuts ain't cutting it right now. Because, <laughs> um... It's slow. It's slow. He put something <laughs> yeah. out today. Some came out today. I, I did see the email, but uh, it, it's been very slow. And I, I don't, I don't want to talk out of my ass when it comes to some of these players. So it's like yeah. I, I just be quiet and I just wait for it to show up instead of just trying to put something out there. Put something out there. Like I want to have a certain amount of games because I want to watch Josh Downs, but it's only one game of twenty twenty two of Josh Downs. So yeah. you like Coach Evans. You like Coach Evans. Y'all don't like going back and looking at them previous years. No, so I'll, I'll go back. I'll go back and because I did that with with a, a Rishi Rice. I went back because it was completely different usage. Yeah, and, uh, and I did the one. same thing with I, I did the same thing with Justin Jefferson because Justin Jefferson, um, the year before he was draft eligible, his sophomore year, he lined up mostly on the outside. Then junior year, they moved him to the to the slot, and they they uh, kind of. Mm-hmm rotated him out and um with Ray C. Rice it was the other way around. It was he was mostly a slot player last year and then this season they put him on the outside. They moved him around but he was uh, mostly on the outside. So um I, I do like going back when it's stuff like that. But a player like Josh Downs, I just want to see this year. I want to see this year. I, I I'll take a peek at last year but I want to look at this year because you know Drake May, you know, he kinda elevated that whole thing up there. So um, yeah, I want to see him. I want to see more of Zay Flowers. And before I, I come to a, a conclusion of how I feel about these guys, I want to at least have two, three games under my belt of watching them. So that's the holdup for, for that position group. You make a good point. I'm glad you said that because it's a good reminder. It's a good check for me because I, I love going back and look at previous years. But the usage – that's an excellent point because it can change and then it can really change your outlook on a guy, you know, because right. you might yeah. only see him used one way and you think, okay, well, he's this. And so you see it as kind of a limiting thing, but to the point you made about Rishi Rice, now you see him play more outside. You see him in that TCU game, little boy, um, uh, Ladanian's nephew. <laughs> it's one of the most disrespectful things you can do. You give somebody a little boy. Um but it, but it was good. It was good. So that's a good check for me because the reason, the primary reason I like to go back and look at previous games is because I want to see them against guys who are now in the NFL, right? So a year or two ago, they were still in college, but now those guys are in the NFL and you've seen them have at least one season in the NFL and you say, okay, I thought they were pretty good prospects when I was watching that year or two back, 
But now I've seen them in the NFL and they proved that they can compete at that level and still do it at a high level. That was the thing for me with Roger McCurry. When I saw him go against Chase, I was like, okay, I know this dude. Chase had been in the league for a year, right? He had his rookie season. We saw how how good he was. So when I went back and saw that game, I was like, okay, yeah, they were younger and you know, they've obviously developed since then. But at a certain point, you you kind of if you were stud, you were stud. <laughs> and so I knew Chase was a stud at that point. I think McCurry was either a freshman or a sophomore. And I was like, all right, if you can toe-to-toe with this dude, okay, you're going to be okay. Just like you said with Zay Flowers. I remember the game with him against Andrew Booth. He gave Andrew Booth a little something at the end of that game. So I was like, okay, if he can do that. Now, Andrew Booth played some this year, and I'm not saying he's like a star or anything, but, you know, he's played and has shown that, you know, he's he's probably going to be a guy who can who can stick at corner in the NFL. So that's why I like going back, because you get to compare it against guys who are now in the NFL. You've seen them have success in the NFL, and you're like, all right, if the guy I'm currently looking at in college had success against that guy, or at least you know played well and held their own, then that might that that typically bodes well. You know, it's not a guarantee anything can happen, but it typically bodes well. Um, so Zay Flowers, yeah, that that's that was the first thing that, the first time that I really got put on to him was that game because I remember, you know, I'm sure it happens to you all the time. You see certain players and it's just a number. You don't know who that guy is yet, but they popped, and you stop and you go look yeah. them up, and you're like, okay, who's that? You know, whether that's Miles Murphy. There's a bunch of guys like that for me where I'm watching somebody else and I see this number flash and I'm like, shit, I got to go look this up. Who is this? I'm like, okay, somebody to keep an eye on. So I saw that with Zay. I was like, all right, he's a littler dude. He's a smaller dude. I won't say little because it might not be like a, a bulk thing. It's a height, more of a height thing. A shorter dude. But that dude is competitive as hell. <laughs> so uh, I, I was, I'm, I'm a fan of his for sure. Um but that's it. I, I like listening because you always give me a good check about things in draft evaluation. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, Mike. But what about this? And I'm like, oh yeah, you know, you're right. I didn't think about that. So <laughs> that's always a good a good check for me. I know me me and Coach get in that all the time. Coach is like, nah, I don't need to see that old. I need to know what you're doing right now. Uh, and that's a good point too. That's a good point too because players get better. Um, or sometimes you know, even the current year, there can be some reasons. For why if a guy is better or if he's if he's struggling there can be some you know maybe new coaching change maybe injury so if i'm only looking at the old stuff and say well look at this look at that okay well, what about right now so it's always a good balance to kind of go back and forth um between those but i think you probably yeah. do give more weight to the current year's film i i, I do agree with that um unless there's some extenuating circumstances like if a guy had injuries or like uh sam howell right Everybody Texas left. Smith. Yeah. Texas when everybody leaves, yeah, yeah. You can be yeah. hurt like like JSN or like Sam Howe. Everybody leaves. <laughs> so your receivers are gone, offensive linemen are gone, your running backs are gone, and then you're there and you don't have quite the season you had the year before. People say, Well, what happened? Okay, well, I had a lot of talent around me two years ago. It was my last year before I came out, not as much talent. Didn't look quite as good. Um, so there's just a lot of factors that go into that thing. And that's what makes the draft process so because there's so many factors. You know, they go into it. Um, so, yeah, we'll be doing all of that. So, hey, stick around. You know what I'm saying? Don't we, we we never do it regularly. I was about to say we may not be recording regularly. We never record regularly. But <laughs> <laughs> it's not like we're going to take the whole like off season off. We'll be around for, you know, different things. And uh, you heard about the content that both of these guys will be putting out. Kerry will continue, you know, through the rest of the NFL uh, playoffs. And then Chris, you know, um, once Caddy gets his act together, 
you'll start to see more <laughs> prospect watches coming out. And I think he will. I think what he tries to do leading up to the Senior Bowl and the Shrine Bowl is get all those guys out. I think he tries to get film on all of those guys, or at least at least the Senior Bowl. I think he tries to do the Shrine Bowl guys too, but tries to get as much roster, uh, much much film out on those those rosters as he can, and then he'll circle back to some of the underclassmen. Some of that stuff's out already, but then I think he comes back to the underclassmen. Um, and there's a name I won't mention him. I ain't trying to put people out there. We had another source. I won't mention his name. Price has gone up. Price of the brick has gone up with that other source. <laughs> if you can believe that, it was already expensive. It's gone yeah. up even more. There's a whole Patreon situation involved now, and there's different tiers. Wow. Yeah, and it's monthly. So I was like, well, which one, number one? You got all these different tiers. Which one gets me what I want? <laughs> and why is that the most expensive? <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's another challenge this year because it's always good to have multiple sources for this stuff for, for people uh, who don't know. Uh, college football, all 22 film is a little bit like the drug game. Mm-hmm. Got to have multiple plugs. <laughs> To get stuff yeah. from <laughs> we we had another one but uh like i said the price of the brick has gone up and the brick was already expensive but it's gone up even more so I'm, I'm currently uh efforting that situation to see if i can work out something reasonable for us because it's it's just good because sometimes he does get stuff that caddy doesn't get so yeah. it's it, it's good to have it but you know there's a like a million dollar man said everybody yeah. has a price yeah, he, he's, he, he's on them eggs and strawberry prices right now. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> he's obviously learning from the best <laughs> out there. When I, Because what he told me, and he's like, oh, yeah, I got a Patreon. I was like, all right, cool, Patreon's cool. And then I started looking. I was like, are these different tiers? And it's by the month? Well, it used to just be a flat fee. Now I got to pay per month? Come, come in. <laughs> because, I'm th- you know, you think about it, it's like, well, if I'm paying per month, are you putting out film every month? Or these months that I'm paying for, where ain't nothing coming out. Hey, Man, so people may have pieced all. I've given out a lot. People may have pieced together who this is. <laughs> but uh, man, say, so you, do you want this omelet or not? <laughs> I do. That's the thing. I do. I do want the omelet. <laughs> That's the problem. I actually really do want the omelet. So I probably would end up breaking down and, you know, paying those eggs and strawberry prices. I'm ashamed of myself for doing it but I probably will. <laughs> um, anyway, that's a little, you know, inside baseball behind the scenes about what it's like trying to get this college football 22 <laughs> so we can, we can watch these prospects. Man. It's, uh, it's gotten better though. At least now it's, it's a little bit more straight up with, you know, this is what it is. This is what it calls. Here's what you'll get back in the day. It was even more shady than, than what it is right now. So it's getting better. It's getting better, but Hey, we appreciate y'all. We, we, we appreciate y'all, man. Uh, that's enough of me sharing my woes. Um, like, subscribe. I'm running through the checklist in my mind. Share everywhere. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Um, thanks for rocking with us. And, uh, you know, like I said, we'll be back. We'll get at y'all next time. Uh, y'all be good out there, all right? Peace. Peace, my dad. making it hurt.